Welcome to the December 26th sermon from Clifford Baptist Church, 635 Fletcher's Level Road in Amherst. Today's scripture is Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 through 18, and the sermon is entitled, Hostility Toward the King, delivered today by Pastor Michael Fitzgerald. We are here, of course, one day now after Christmas, uh, and as a church, I pray that we're still in Christmas mode. Pray that we're still in celebration mode because there's still time to enjoy this season. You know, some segments of the Christian church actually celebrate the 12 days of Christmas. So yesterday was day one, today is day two. Some of you ought to be getting two turtle doves sometime today. But it runs through, I think it's January 5th, the 12 days of Christmas. Uh, the church celebrates uh, the birth of Jesus Christ. But the world mostly now is on its way back out of Christmas to a non-Christmas mode, back to normal. I'll guarantee you today, except for maybe a couple little sale shelves at Walmart, every hint of Christmas is gone from Walmart. Right now on their shelves is Valentine's candy and Valentine's card because they're moving on to the next season that they're going to make a dollar. But Christmas is gone, and Valentine's Day has now come to be the sale. Well, for people of faith, let's celebrate a little bit longer. Uh, you know, right now, this is the moment that many of us have gotten through all of the rush, and we have a moment to sit and gather our thoughts and meditate about what Christmas is really all about and the coming of a Savior for us. So take a moment today, this evening, and just thank God that his son came for us and celebrate Christmas just a little longer as the world moves on to another day. And so it is in Scripture. And this Christmas season I have concentrated, and I'm so glad that, that Claire and Marlene brought us back to the Christmas story. That's the story that I concentrated on throughout this season of Christmas this year, the old story of glory of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus born, laid in a manger's. The shepherds hear of the good news out in their fields. They come and find the Christ child. They celebrate the embodiment of God's joy as they find the Holy Family in that situation of a barn and a manger. But we move on in Scripture. We've been studying in Luke chapter 2. Today I want you to take your Bible and turn with me to Matthew chapter 2. We're going to read about the wise men of the East who come to find the Christ child. And of course, you know that they did not come on the night of his birth as did the shepherds, but rather the wise men actually showed up maybe as much as two years after the birth of the Christ child. But as you remember, the wise men are looking to the sky for a, a sign from God Almighty. I want you to bear in mind that wise men in this day, uh, probably living in the area of Persia, were not astrologers they weren't looking for signs in the sky they were looking for signs from God uh, and so they were scanning the skies looking for God to speak to them as they were asking for a message from him and they see this star that is unusual and consistent uh, in its leading them to a particular destination uh, and these holy men see this star and they discern that this star is over in the west and it is pointing out a new king of Israel and so because they discern that it is indeed a sign from God they decide to follow that star and to find the destiny of the king that has been born to the world 
Now, the trip that the wise men took could have really spanned over several months as they traveled from Persia over to Jerusalem and Bethlehem. So this group seeking the Lord follow this star for all of this time. They find it resting over the Jerusalem-Bethlehem area. Remember, Bethlehem is a bare six miles away from Jerusalem. So the star is pointing in this general geographic area. And the wise men are traveling by guidance of the star. So when they get to that area, now they want specific directions as to where the child actually was born so they could go to see him. With that, let's pick up with Matthew chapter 2. Look at verses 1 through 3. Keep your Bible open. We're going to travel on farther than that today. But listen to these words. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. So as this group of seekers, these wise men from Persia are pouring into Jerusalem. By the way, I believe there were many more than three wise men. You know, our world has surmised that there were three wise men because there were three gifts that they brought to the Christ child. But as J. Vernon McGee says, never get your theology off of Christmas cards. I believe that it was much more than three wise men. I believe it was a troop of wise men who had traveled all of these miles to come to find the Christ child. But as they come into Jerusalem, they're asking, where is he that has been born king of the Jews? Well, the Roman ruler of that area, who was King Herod, heard the news of these newcomers who have traveled into Jerusalem asking where a new king was and where the birthplace would be. And immediately his antennas went up and he was immediately jealous of his throne because he thought this new king born in this area is going to rise up and take my throne of leadership away from me. So he's afraid that the newborn king is on his way to take his place on his throne. It's amazing that he could get jealous over a newborn, and yet he did. So Herod calls in, first of all, leaders of the Israelite faith to question them about where the birth was to take place, and they immediately give him an answer out of the prophecy of Michael, of Micah, rather. And as they give him the prophecy from Micah, he then calls in the wise men and speaks to them. And as he calls in and addresses them, he asks a very specific question of the wise men. So look with me again now. Matthew chapter 2, start with verse 4. And when he, meaning Herod, had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child, and when ye have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. 
So as we see verse 8, we see that Herod says, I want you to bring me back word when you have found this newborn king because I too want to come and fall on my knees before him. So wily old King Herod said, you find him, come back and tell me so I can come worship him. It was the biggest lie of history. He did not want to worship the newborn king. He wanted to find him and exterminate him. He had no desire whatsoever to recognize him as king. He simply wanted to kill him to get him out of the way. Well, as you know, the wise men do indeed find the Christ child in Bethlehem. They worship him. They bring him the three gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. I have a sermon about those three gifts. I'm not going to preach it today. But each one of those gifts uh, signifies a segment of his life. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Myrrh stands for his death. It's one of the principal spices with which you would anoint a dead body. But that's another sermon altogether. I'll get to that another day. But today, as we look at these words, when Herod says, let me know where he is so I can come and worship him, God warned those wise men that they never should speak to Herod again, but rather they are to worship the Christ child, and then go back to their home in Persia, but go back in another way so that you don't cross paths with Herod ever again. So let's read the passage after the wise men go home. What happens to the Holy Family then? Let's read that passage. Surprisingly, in 40 years, I have not preached specifically on this passage. Uh, I've referred to it many, many times, but I've never given it a sermon. Today is the day. But as we think about the wise men, usually we stop with the giving of the three gifts and they go home. But today, let's see what happens to the Holy Family. So go with me to Matthew chapter 2, go to verse 13. Hear these words. And when they, the wise men, were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeareth to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, and take the young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt. And be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt. And was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled of which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. Then Herod when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and in all the coasts thereof from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy or Jeremiah the prophet, saying, In Ramah, was there a voice heard, lamentation and weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and would not be comforted because they are not. May God add his blessing to the reading of this portion of his word. When the wise men departed back to their home in the east, God came to Joseph and said, Take the child Jesus and take your wife Mary and get out of Bethlehem. And I want you to travel down into Egypt, and I want you to flee there, and I want you to remain there until I give you permission to return back. So they run to Egypt, 
Joseph obeys him, and the Holy Family travels southward about 75 miles into the country of Egypt. Now, the ancient historian Philo says that in that area of Egypt, there was a population and a community of about a million Jews. And most likely, Joseph and Mary and Jesus moved into that population of Jews and disappeared into that faceless crowd. And they stayed there until God gave them permission to leave and come back home again. As history goes, Herod realizes that the wise men never come back to report to him as the king. And he is beyond angry. He is livid that they did not come back to him and tell him where this new king was. And so he goes on a killing spree. And he orders that all the babies, two years old and under, be slaughtered in and around the little town of Bethlehem. Knowing that if he slaughtered all of the babies in that area, that surely he would slaughter the new king that had been born. So the king would die in the midst of all the babies who were dying. The raid upon the families probably was carried out very quickly in one swift moment so that no family could get the information of what was going on and run. That's why God moved his family out earlier. But it did happen, and God allowed it to happen. I can't explain that. But it was Herod's evil plan that these babies be slaughtered. Most likely for the next few weeks afterward, Probably the pregnant women in that area were kept an eye on, so immediately when that baby was born, the baby was killed. Someone did a study of the population of that area in that day and said most likely under normal circumstances, somewhere between 30 and 50 babies died in the slaughter in and around Bethlehem according to the population of the day. Well, look at Matthew chapter 2, verse 18 once again. Matthew 2 18. In Ramah was there a voice heard, lamentation and weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and would not be comforted because they are not. Let me explain that verse to you. If you remember back in biblical history, back to the very first book of the Bible of the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis, we know that Jacob became the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. And one of his wives, the one who was most precious and, and most beautiful to him, was his wife, Rachel. And she was considered a mother of Israel. When Rachel died, she was buried in Bethlehem. You can find that in Genesis chapter 33, verse 19. Now, 13 centuries after Rachel died, 13 centuries after she was buried in Bethlehem, the sons of Israel were carried off into Babylon. The year was 586 B.C. This was the group that Daniel went with when you read Daniel's prophecy as they were deported into Babylon under King Nebuchadnezzar. And they were taken, Israel was taken out of their homeland into Babylon as slaves. And in Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 15, the prophet Jeremiah says that Rachel wept from her grave when these... Israelites were taken as slaves and captives into Babylon 13 centuries after she died. Rachel wept in her grave for the loss of her sons into Babylon. From that point then, 600 years later, 
when the babies were killed in Bethlehem, Rachel wept again from her grave. Rachel wept for the loss of the children of Israel. That's what that verse says. As a side note, we today should weep as our own babies are lost. And we should be on our knees right now. Our nation is poised to make a decision about abortion in days to come. We need to be on our knees as we have a new governor, as we have uh, right now uh, the justices considering this case in our nation, that our babies be spared. We should weep for the loss of our children just as Rachel wept for the loss of her sons and her children from her own grave. Children are killed in our nation every day through abortion and neglect and hunger. How sad that is. Children are injured through family disruption in our country every single day. How sad to hurt a child. Amen? And so when the Bible says that Rachel wept from her grave centuries after she was buried, certainly we carry on in that we should be weeping and standing for our own children in our own time, in our age. How sad to hurt a child. For Joseph, Mary, and Jesus, they hid in Egypt and they waited out the slaughter. Look at verse 15 again, Matthew 2, 15. And was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. They stayed in Egypt until Herod and his death sentence against the babies died. They hid in perhaps that Jewish population 75 miles southward in Egypt until Herod died. And with his death came the death of that sentence against the children. And when he dies and the death sentence dies, then a prophecy is fulfilled. Write this reference down. Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. It's referred to here in Matthew. This is the verse Matthew's referring to. Hosea 11.1 1 says this, When Israel was a child, then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. So we see the fulfillment of a prophecy written hundreds of years before they flee into the nation of Egypt. So God calls his begotten son and his mother and his father out of Egypt. They travel northward again, coming back to the Holy Land back to Nazareth, back to the Bethlehem area. And I give you that account to say this to you today. Matthew alone includes this fleeing into Egypt in his gospel. It's the only gospel writer that includes this run from the Holy Land into Egypt to protect the baby Jesus from death. But he tells us, Matthew has this pinpoint that he's telling us over and over again that Early on in his infancy, the world was hostile toward Jesus. But he carries that theme in his gospel throughout. It began with Herod's hostility against Jesus and the children. But then it continues in chapter 4 when Satan comes to Jesus in a hostile manner and tempts him with three temptations to depose him as the Son of God and to destroy his life because Satan himself was hostile against Jesus. Chapter 12, the Pharisees were hostile toward him. 
criticizing him, even saying when he healed people that he was from Satan himself. Chapter 26, the priests and the elders and the scribes devised this plan of hatred and hostility against Jesus to kill him as the Lord. And then, of course, in Matthew's gospel, as with in every gospel in chapter 27 of Matthew, the high point of hostility is Jesus is sentenced to the old rugged cross. And a hostile government and a hostile world crucifies him in death. One of Matthew's greatest points in his gospel, don't forget this, but one of Matthew's greatest points in his gospel is this. The world did not want Jesus. The world did not want Jesus. Eight centuries before Jesus was born, Isaiah confirmed that in his prophecy. If you want to write this reference down, it's Isaiah chapter 53, verse 3, says this. He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. 800 years before Jesus came to the manger and lived his life on this earth incarnate, Isaiah said he would be despised when he got here. He would be rejected of men, and Matthew shows us well. That's the sad irony that the Bible gives us. Much of the world does not want Jesus, but all of the world needs Jesus. Much of the world rejects him, but all of the world needs him. And that's the irony that we see in the Bible. People need a shepherd. And people need hope. And people need healing. And people need purpose. And yet people reject that Savior and die and go to hell every single day. Because they have esteemed Him not and they've rejected Him. And they don't want Him. The world is still hostile against Him in so many ways. And yet even today... We're grateful that that Savior would save any single person who comes to Him in faith. That Savior today would, would save the greatest murderer and the greatest atheist who ever lived if they would come to Him in faith. I can't understand that depth of forgiveness, but that's what the Bible teaches us. If you will come to me in trust and in faith and declare me as your Savior, I will forgive you of your sin. And you will be my son or my daughter. What an amazing God we have who can go beyond the boundaries, all the boundaries of our sin and forgive us. And yet the world doesn't want Him in so many places. So many people still don't want Him. I preached this sermon on the last Sunday of 2021 to refresh and to renew the vision of Clifford Baptist Church and your life, if you're visiting with us, if you're streaming with us, I want to refresh our vision for who we are in this world. And Clifford Baptist Church 2022 is going to be a year of transition for us, but we still have the same vision and we have the same mission and we can never take our eyes off of that, amen? We keep moving forward in how God blesses us to give Jesus to the world. So in these concluding moments, I'm going to give you five areas where we need to stay strong as we give Jesus to the world. 
five words that begin with the letter P. Just write them down on your bulletin. Five words that begin with the letter P. First of all, we must stay faithful in preaching Jesus Christ. This pulpit is now seen worldwide. We have those who visit with us across the United States of America and from countries of the world watching us this moment, picking up this service throughout this week, knowing that they're going to hear the truth of the living Lord Jesus Christ. We have a a divine command to preach the gospel of Jesus without compromise. We don't want to embellish it. We don't want to whitewash it. We don't want to take the power out of it. We want to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. We want the world to know the truth about him. We are to reach and bring people to Jesus as Savior. You know, one of the greatest two chapters of the Bible speaking about the end times, Matthew chapters 24 and 25. If you want to read about the end times, read Matthew 24 and 25. But within Matthew 24 are these words, and I want you to hear them because I believe they're vitally important as we are, I believe, living in last days. I believe that history is coming down. One thing we do know, God has a date for the last day. And I know today that we are one day closer to that date than we were yesterday. I don't know if it's going to be in the next 10 minutes or the next 10 years or the next 100 years, but I believe we're living in the end days. And here's what Matthew 24, 14 says about that. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Our commission is to preach undiluted the truth of Jesus Christ, who he is and how he saves, and provide an invitation to those who need him. And we're to do that faithfully until the last day that Jesus calls us home as his church. And we know that the gospel is going to be preached in the great tribulation by the tribulation saints. We know that's going to happen. The gospel is going to go out. But we are to be faithful to the gospel and nothing else as the church of the living Lord Jesus Christ. Number two, we are to be faithful in proclamation throughout the church. Proclaiming the gospel in our Sunday school, in our missions teaching, in our men's and women's study groups, in our youth outreach, in our children's ministry, we are to be proclaiming the truth of Jesus Christ to every corner of the church body. The babies need to learn Jesus loves me. Our children need to learn, as we've heard this morning, the way Marlene and Claire led us in Scripture from memory we need to continue to teach them and give them the good news but we should proclaim the gospel through every corner of the church we cannot stray from God's truth as the church body number three we need to be a people who are faithful in prayer preach proclaim pray we pray to be surrendered we pray to be faithful to the mission of the Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray for His blessing. We pray for His leading. We pray for His hand on us of protection. We pray for His wisdom. We pray for His passion to bring a lost world to the Savior. We pray that we can reach out to those who have, to this point, rejected Him and bring them into the family of God through faith 
and proclaiming him as their Lord and their Savior. Pray daily and pray fervently for a little country church to touch an entire world for Jesus. Pray. We have to be people praying for God's will. Number four, we will be faithful in praise. We will be faithful in praise. How we need to worship together. You know, this last year, year and a half, has really torn the church asunder in so many areas as to how we meet together and how we worship together. I can't ask you to do anything beyond what you feel comfortable in doing, but we need to worship together. If it's by streaming, however it is, we need to be faithful in worshiping and praising together. I simply ask that you and I rededicate our lives to worship. This year has driven many from the church And they've closed the door on worship of any sort. How sad that is for the church to lose worshipers who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord commands us to be a people of worship. Don't let any outward force or circumstance take your life away from worshiping Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. It is a core value of our faithfulness to Him. Be faithful. Be consistent in worshiping, praising Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Let me give you another verse of Scripture. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. This verse has spoken to me often over the years. Hebrews 10, 25. Listen, remember this, this is directed to believers. This book of Hebrews is directed to those who believe in Jesus Christ and follow Him. And this is a direction given through Hebrews 10.25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much more as ye see the day approaching. In other words, the writer of Hebrews says, as you see times getting shorter, And as you see the signs of the times coming, that Jesus is not going to be long in returning for us, it should bring us together to worship all the more. We should be worshiping together. If these are the end days, as I believe they are, we need to praise Jesus together. We need to be together in that. It's a core value of how we love and follow our Savior and encourage and support and exhort one another as believers in the Lord Jesus. Number five, finally, be faithful in the practice of your faith. Never lose sight, believer, and this is for me as well, we can never lose sight of the truth that you and I represent Jesus wherever we are. If it's in Cape Town, South Africa, if it's in another country of the world, or it's right here in the community in which you and I live, We are to represent Jesus Christ every single day. My prayer is that you and I on this last Sunday as we get ready to step over the threshold of a new year that we will rededicate our life to serving Him, witnessing for Him well in the days that are coming before us. Do not, do not let COVID or compromise or calendar stand in the way way that you represent Jesus out in this world. Represent him, stand for him courageously, and stand for him well every single day. Practicing your faith and your witness in this world. Rededicate your life to serving him 100% of your time.
You know, it's all about our message to the world. There is a lot of the world this day, as it was 2,000 years ago, hostile to Jesus. It is still certainly true today. There are so many, though, who are just waiting, just waiting to hear an invitation to Jesus. You know, years ago, there was a church in our area that used our baptistry on Sundays after we were gone. They would come and bring their baptism candidates and baptize them here. And I'll never forget one Sunday, I would stay behind after most of our congregation had gone and and be with that church as they baptized their believers here. And one day, the pastor brought down into the baptistry waters an older man I, I, I hesitate to tell you his age because somebody's going to get offended if I say that. But anyway, an older man. Let's say well past my age even. <laughs> and he got into the water and the pastor said, you know, I spoke to this man and, and our conversation led to my, my inviting him to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, I will readily accept him as my Savior. And the pastor said, well, why did it take you so long? Why are you so advanced in years and you never came to Christ he said because nobody ever asked me that moment changed me he had waited for well over six or seven decades for somebody to just ask him somebody in your life is waiting for you to ask them do you know Jesus somebody in your life is watching you to find the evidence of how Jesus changes a life how Jesus improves a life, how Jesus directs our course. Somebody's watching you and me. Rededicate your life to being that witness. Now listen, as I close, if you're here or you're listening today and you've never asked Jesus to be your Savior, some people have never asked Him because they really never knew they needed Him. I can assure you today, if you're in this sanctuary or you're listening by streaming today or you're in our parking lot on an FM signal, you need Him today. You need Him. Some people have never asked Jesus to be their Savior because they don't need religion. This is not a religion. This is a relationship. This is a walk of faith, a journey of trust. It's not religion. It's relationship. And you need Jesus walking by your side. Some haven't come to Christ because they feel far too sinful, that they're too far out of the reach of Jesus to be able to be forgiven of all the stuff they've got in their background and in their suitcase of their life. But Jesus said, if you'll come to me, I will forgive you. No one will be turned away. You come, and I'll forgive you, and I'll cleanse you. And I'll take that load of guilt off of your shoulders that you've carried too long. Some have never asked Jesus to be their Savior because they say, well, it will change my lifestyle. Yes, it will. Let me be honest with you. It will change your lifestyle. No one can come to Christ as Savior and remain unchanged. But it will be a lifestyle that honors him and a lifestyle that gives you purpose and joy at the end of the day. Some have never come to Jesus because they just never wanted him. I pray today he knocks on the door of your heart that you know you need him. And today you'll know, maybe for the first time in your life, that you want him. That he has something to give you that you've never had and you want it. You need him. All of us need him. If you've never come to him, he deeply, deeply loves you. So much so that he would come to a manger and go to a cross and walk from a grave that you might have life. I invite you to him. 
I invite you by his invitation to come. His arms are open. That's what he tells us. He's waiting for us to come. And that's the good news that all the world needs to hear. I pray today, believers, that you and I will rededicate our lives to taking that good news outside of the doors of our church or outside of the doors of wherever you live. And also I pray that those who've never come to Jesus will come today, the day after Christmas. Give him the greatest gift you could give and the gift of your heart. Let's pray together. Our Father, our God, thank you for these moments. We worship you. Father, thank you that as we come to this place, we know, Lord, that indeed you are the one who gives us life. It doesn't take long for us when we live in this world to know that much of the world is hostile to you. Much of the world doesn't want to hear about you. But I pray, Father, through your believer's presence in this world that we can be seen as a people who love others and who want them to come. There's someone in my life today, someone in every life of the believers represented here and online. If you're a believer, there's someone in your life who's waiting for an invitation. Someone who's waiting for a word from God. Someone who wants to come, but have never had a conversation about who Jesus is in their life. Send us out as witnesses, Lord. Send us to the lost. Send us to the ones who are listening. Send us into a world that can be hostile but help us to meet the world in love in Jesus. Bless us as the church, we pray, as a new year opens before us. Bless that one who needs you, that today is the day of a change of heart and a change of life and a change of eternity through Jesus as Savior. Church home, whatever the need, meet us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Clifford Baptist Church invites you to join us for worship every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. For more information about our church, please call our church office at 434-946-0555.